In this episode of Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. When I'm driving out each day, I'm thinking, all right, what am I going to be surprised with today? What are we going to find out there today that I'm not expecting to see? And just about every day, there'll be something that we'll find that I'll tell the folks, well, I did not expect to see that out here today. Hey, y'all, I'm Shannon. Thanks for tuning in to Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. In this episode, we sit down with Dr. Joe Richardson, owner of Tybee Beach Ecology Trips, to talk about ecology and marine life on Tybee Island and the surrounding area. On your way to Tybee Island, just a short drive from downtown Savannah, you'll cross miles of rich saltwater marshes. Have you ever wondered what lives in the marshes and estuaries? Did you know we have a very active year-round dolphin population? Discover how you can have your own wildlife adventure when you come to Tybee Island. Take a listen. As long as I can remember, all I ever wanted to be was a marine biologist. Our family had an old house um, in North Carolina on the coast. It wasn't on the beach, but it was in a coastal town. And that was our vacation every summer. We never did anything different, but we'd spend the month of August after Little League baseball season was over and school didn't start till after Labor Day then. And uh, and all I wanted to do the whole time we were there was fish because I just loved fishing. And uh, so I'd spend the whole month of August fishing there on the North Carolina coast. In about the seventh grade, I think it was, um, we always had to do book reports in school. And uh, even though I hated doing the book reports, I really enjoyed doing, you know, reading different things that I was having to read about. And one of the books I was reading, there was a a person in it that was called a marine biologist and it was somebody that studied things in the oceans and i thought well that's kind of neat and i asked my mom if there really was such a thing as that and she said yeah and you know that may be something you may want to do because we're talking about way back long time ago when there was three tv stations and libraries and that was it as far as information goes Uh, so i started looking into it and asking people about it and and all and realized, yeah, that was a a career somebody could go into. I I realized I liked science by then um, and found out that uh, to be a marine biologist or oceanographer, you pretty much had to go to graduate school. Of course, I didn't know what that was in seventh grade, but found out that just meant more college after college. But that was back at that time, that's when uh, where you would go to specialize in marine sciences or marine biology and stuff. And so I set my goals on doing that, making good enough grades in high school to be able to get into college. And then in college, that was my motivation to make good grades in college so I could get into graduate school and was fortunate enough to be able to do that. Um, I did my undergraduate work at Tennessee, University of Tennessee, majoring in biology and took all the ecology and botany and those sort of classes that I could. Um, And then uh, chose University of North Carolina for graduate school because I liked their program and that it included physical oceanography and chemical and geological and biological because I wanted to learn all the stuff about the oceans um, that I could. And about the time I was finishing up um, a school here in Savannah, a college at the time, Savannah State College, was wanting to start an undergraduate marine biology program. And like I said, at that time, that just wasn't heard of to have marine biology at the undergraduate level. And I came down and interviewed and it ended up being a good match and uh, came and helped them 
start a marine biology program there. And since then, the college has become a university. Uh, our program grew and did real well and uh, actually has a master's in marine sciences now. Uh, so I spent my whole career there at Savannah State um, in the marine science program. Um, retired 10 years or so ago, um, and I had no plans of doing these uh, uh, Tybee Beach ecology trips at the time. I was going to retire and just continue doing research and consulting work, and I still do a good bit of that um, even now. But over the years, a lot of school teachers that ask if I'd help them with their field trips out here at the beach, and uh, I love doing that. And uh, then when I retired, the teacher said, no, no, you got to still do field trips with us. You got to still help us do that. Um, and they said, you know, even though, you know, you're retired, it's not community service anymore. You know, we can help you out with that. And I thought, well, that's even better. Um, and then more teachers found out about it and started asking. And then, uh, you know, we get a lot of Girl Scout groups that come to Savannah since this is where Girl Scouting started. And uh, they found out about it and started asking about doing trips. And uh, so it, that kind of grew in terms of numbers of trips. And then a lot of the vacation rental companies here on Tybee and in Savannah and some of the bigger motels on Tybee and in Savannah also uh, started getting in touch with me saying, uh, would you do trips for families or do you only do school groups and scout groups? I said, yeah, I'll get out there with anybody. I love getting out there and never know what all we're going to find. And so that has just sort of grown. And so now it's uh, something I enjoy doing a lot. It gets me out on the beach, gee, from middle of March till the middle of August, just about every day. Um, and what I've found since I'm getting out on the beach now much more often than when I was even at the university, um, is that the Tybee Island is a really interesting place for marine biology. So what kinds of things are people finding? Like, what are you regularly catching? Because I know I've seen your tours and everything, and, and for those of you that aren't familiar or haven't been here yet, um, I know you go out and you walk along the beach yep. and you cast a net out and, and kind of walk us through the tour and what people can expect to see when you're doing it. Well, I, I schedule my trips around low tides because that's when we can find the most things. And the low tide changes about an hour each day. It's about an hour later each day and so that's one of the first things i tell folks when they get in touch with me is let me know your dates i'll check the tide tables and let you know when i'll be doing trips during uh, during those days we're out there at low tide we spend about a couple of hours on the beach and i do them up at the north end up close to the lighthouse uh, just because i over the years i've found that's uh, the spot where we don't have to walk a long ways that we can really find the biggest diversity, biggest variety of different animals. It might not be the most of everything, uh, but it's where our chances of finding the biggest variety is. Um, so we'll check through the soft sand, the soft wet sand, again, it's low tide, and there's a number of things that live down in the sand that people just never realize that we're there. And so I'll, Tell them what to be looking for as far as bumps in the sand or what's down in those holes and i've got some special tools for sucking things up out of the holes uh, that even local folks didn't realize that's what's down in those holes <laughs> <laughs> down in there and as we find things live animals um 
I've got some big plastic pans and uh, we'll get some seawater in there and we'll put our animals in there. So we make our own touch tank every time that we're out there with the live animals that we're finding. And sometimes we'll find different things that really don't need to be together. And so I've got multiple pans and buckets and stuff. And so uh, it's not uncommon at all. I think yesterday was a good example where we had two or three big pans of seawater with different sort of animals in them, uh, along with a couple of buckets of different sort of things. You don't want the crabs in there that's going to be eating other things mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. So we'll start off in the in the wet sand and see and find a number of different things there and make our way on down the beach a little bit. And at the north beach area, there's a rock jetty that runs out perpendicular to the beach. And uh, at high tide, it's all covered with water, but at low tide down along the bottoms of some of the rocks it's deep enough that you get little tide pools in there and uh, i bring along along with a bunch of shovels and bring a bunch of dip nets for everybody and so we can scoop animals out of those tide pools and so we spend a good bit of time exploring around the tide pools as well as the different animals that are growing attached onto the rocks um, as well and uh, so we just kind of camp out there for a while and spread out and people are finding all sorts of different things in the tide pools. Typically, you'll find uh, hermit crabs. We have about three different kinds of hermit crabs here. During the summer, we find a, a large variety of other kinds of crabs, uh, some of the blue crabs, uh, but also stone crabs, and as I mentioned, the hermit crabs. There's a lot of little crabs that live on the rocks and crawl around up on the on the rocks, and people will find those. Uh, some different sort of snails. Some live in the sand, and some live over on the rocks crawling around eating the barnacles and oysters and things like that. That's amazing. It sounds like a really hands-on experience. Oh, it, it definitely is. And I'll tell folks, I said, I, first of all, I never know what we're going to find. And you'll be able to tell when we, when you find something that I'm not expecting because I'll get really excited <laughs> then. Uh, but that you're going to find more things than I find. And that's always the way it works. And within the first 15 minutes, they are finding the things much more so than I am. And so they're finding things, bringing them over to the tank, asking what it is. And of course, I'll get into some long explanation and some people will want to listen and other people say, yep, good, put it in the tank. They're off to find something else again, <laughs> which that's is <fun>. good. <laughs> yeah, that's but it's, amazing. Yeah, it's real hands-on. So I tell folks, you know, dress for being on the beach. We're going to be down in the wet sand. So you're going to get wet and sandy. Um, but yeah. As soon as we get out there, people got the shovels in hands for uh, for the sandy area, and then when we get over to the rocks, and they got their nets, and they're finding the things. What's the most shocking thing that you've ever pulled out of the net? The most surprised thing that I found on on any of the trips, actually, it was around the rocks, and I was with a school group. They were probably upper elementary age, fourth or fifth grade, I guess. So. And uh, the kids, they were finding lots of hermit crabs and bringing them up and showing them to me. And we were, you know, getting them into the tank. So they were finding those sort of things. And there was this one young fella, and uh, he kept coming up to me. He said, there's something under one of these rocks, and I can't get it and can't really see what it is. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll be there in a minute. And I'd get interrupted. But eventually I got to there, and uh, I looked to where he was looking and pointing at. And I said, well, I don't see anything. And he says, right in there where those two rocks come together, it's down underneath there. I said, all right, well, I'll tell you what, I'll hold my dip net down 
underneath and you poke around with yours where you're seeing something. And so we did that and I saw something drop into my dip net and it was kind of orange and it had arms or legs or whatever. And I thought it was a starfish uh, because especially during the cooler months, we'll find some starfish out there. Uh, but as I started bringing my net up, those arms started getting longer and extending out. And I know my eyes started getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> my mouth was probably getting open more and more. And it was a little octopus. Oh, wow. That's what it was. And uh, I had never seen one there before. I'm sure they probably occur, but they're very secretive. And uh, so we had an octopus that day for our touch tank, which was really, really neat. So that's, I, I really remember that. I remember where it was on the rocks. And of course, after we're done, all the live animals all go back to where we found them, back in the tide pools or in the sand or, or just whatever. And so that octopus, after lots of pictures and everything else, he eventually <laughs> got right back in there to where he was. So that was, the, that was to me, the strangest yeah. Thing. Sounds like I've a big day for there. you it, and the it octopus. It really was because I, again, while I was at the university, we would do field trips with my classes and stuff. And, and then over the years doing these beach trips and stuff, you know, I probably studied on those rocks for 30 or 35 years or more. And uh, that was the only time I've seen an octopus out there. Wow. That's amazing. <laughs> so that was really neat. So what do you <laughs> hope that people take away from your chores? Oftentimes people will tell me, well, I learned a lot today. You know, we've been coming to the beach a lot and I thought I knew a lot, but I learned a lot today. So that always makes me feel good. I guess, again, that's the, the teacher inside. Um, I want them to learn to be able to find these things themselves. In other words, uh, come to the beach and certainly enjoy the beach and the waves and the water and the sand and the sun and everything else there is to enjoy. Um, but for those that are curious, especially the younger folks that are curious about, well, I wonder what made that hole or I wonder what's in that bump or I wonder what might be down in these tide pools, uh, that they know some of the things that are there, but also realize that even when they're walking on the wet sand and thinks, well, boy, there's no seashells here on Tybee, there's nothing on the beach here. Uh, that now they'll realize, oh, there's a whole lot of stuff just down underneath the sand there, uh, that this really, really is an interesting beach. And then even when they go to other beaches, um, that they'll know what sort of signs and different things to look for and realize uh, this marine environment is a really, really interesting environment. And there's some weird looking animals. <laughs> they live around here in the water and, and just under the sand and hiding in the rocks and all. Yeah. Yeah, so you touched on this a little bit, too, about how the marine life is so rich here compared to North Carolina or Florida or places north yep. and south of here. Overall, the entire like coastal Georgia ecosystem is really unique. But can you explain to our listeners why it's, a, why it's different than other marsh areas and other coastal yeah. areas? We'll see things in the wintertime that we won't see in the summer. And a lot of those things we see in the wintertime are typical of... Cape Cod and New England area. And then just the reverse in the summer. We'll see things in the summer that are typical of South Florida and in the Caribbean area and stuff. And then some of the species that occur in this overlap area are adapted to it. They can handle the, 
the temperature change between winter and summer water temperatures around here. And so they're here year round. They might be a little more abundant during certain seasons than others. So because we're in that overlap area, it's a real, real interesting area there biogeographically because we get this temporal or seasonal change in the flora and fauna as animals move in and move out and other things move in and and move out. And so that's one of the, probably one of the dominant conditions that make Tybee Island and and Georgia coast real, real interesting. Uh, But here on Tybee, we have a few other local sort of situations that make it real interesting. We've got the, uh, the Savannah River, carrying a lot of fresh water um, out to sea. Of course, it's mixed by the time it gets to Tybee Island. It's pretty salty there. Uh, and then on the backside of Tybee, lots of salt marsh. And Georgia's known for all of its salt marsh. And so there's a number of species that grow there. It's a nursery area where a lot of young things grow up in the marsh and in those estuary areas. Um, and then move out, move out into deeper water or more ocean water as they're adults. Well, as they're moving in and out, then they're coming right by Tybee Island. And so we'll see a number of things. Yesterday's trip was a good example of that. Uh, Some of the crabs that we found, you know, typically they live in the marsh. They live in the saltwater creeks and rivers and stuff. But we see some out here at the edge um, as well. So we've got those major habitats, the estuaries and the salt marshes right here, right next to Tybee. Um, We've got the Savannah River. On the south end of Tybee, you have the back river that's pretty much just a saltwater river. It's just tidewater moving in and out and not really that much fresh water that comes in. Um, Our tides, Georgia's known for its big tide range. We have the biggest tides that you find on the east coast. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, until you I get way that. up into northern New England and Canada. But our tides typically are six to eight feet between high tide and low tide. If you go to Daytona, it's only about three feet. Or if you go to North Carolina Outer Banks, it's only about three feet. But right here in between, we get this big eight-foot change every six hours. And with our nice wide beaches uh, that are wide and flat, uh, when the tide goes out, that uncovers a lot of <laughs> a lot of beach area there. So there's a lot of this intertidal zone, intertidal meaning between the tides, um, that sandy flat area uh, that's good for a, a lot of different animals that live down in the sand. And so we've got a lot of space for those sorts of things too. So beyond just the obvious, protecting the beauty of our landscape and everything, uh, what are some reasons that preserving the marshes and the ecosystem are so important in this area. Especially protecting the marshes is important. Um, You know, as you drive out to Tybee and driving past Fort Pulaski, you see acres and acres of salt marsh and you don't see anything else. You just see that grass out there and you think, well, a lot of grass out there. (laughs) And I'm sure it's muddy and it really is muddy. You know, what's it good for? I don't see anything in there eating it. You know, there's no big animals uh, grazing on it or anything like that. And it seems like it just grows up and then in the fall it turns golden and it looks pretty. And then in the winter it turns brown and it doesn't doesn't look so pretty. <laughs> but it's a very productive area. That growing seagrass or, or marsh grass, it grows 
as I said, nothing much eats it at the time. It dies back. And then over time, those stalks and leaves get washed out. Um, on the beach yesterday, there was a lot of dead marsh grass washed up at the high tide line because we'd had some uh, some real high tides and it floated a lot of that dead marsh grass out of the marsh, piled it up on the beach. Um, but as it's washing around in the water back in the tidal creek areas and the rivers and even in the ocean it's getting broken down it's getting decayed the the fungi and the bacteria are breaking it down there's a lot of animals eat that stuff um, at that point they don't eat it much when it's alive it's real tough and coarse and uh, fibrous and all but as it's starting to decay it's said to become detritus as a term that people use for that decaying um, vegetation it it has more nutrition more nutritious value because of the bacteria and the fungi that are on it and so a lot of the animals that live on the bottom and it seems like they're just kind of picking around and eating stuff on the bottom that's what they're eating and so it's a real important base of the food chain around here so not much is eating it while it's live so it's not grazers uh, animals that are eating it but instead it's detritus feeders, detritus eaters um, that then enter the food chain. So these small animals that are doing that, that like I said, they're mostly living on the bottom or even filtering small pieces of it out, that gets the food chain going. So the dolphins though are here year round, right? Yep, we do have some here year round. I'm pretty sure we get some that uh, probably migrate up and down the coast as well. Uh, but yep, we'll see them year round and uh, sometimes we'll see them when I'm uh, out on the beach with families and groups and stuff, especially if the water's calm and not choppy and it's easy to spot the, the dolphin fins out there. I, there seems to me to be a group of them uh, that just kind of, they must live up there uh, between the north end of Tybee and the Lazaretta Creek um, area right along in there because they... Uh, We'll see them, like I said, we'll see them out at the beach. Sometimes they'll come around and swim on down the beach. People will see them from the fishing pier uh, pretty often mm -hmm. down here. Too. One time I saw one jump up out of the they water will. like a movie <laughs> yeah, they off will. of the pier. It was amazing. Yeah, it was now so that's, cool. a, that's a good sight. Yeah, yeah. You're, you're looking at the right place at the right time there. Yeah. But, uh, they really are amazing. They are, um, um, I know they give birth around here because every spring it seems like the uh the people that that do the dolphin tours here on tybee they'll oftentimes you know have pictures and videos showing the mama and her baby mm -hmm. you know rolling around there in the water but those dolphins they'll come on up into the creeks as well and so it's not uncommon for people to be out on their dock back in one of the creeks the horse pen creek or the chimney creek area and and along will come a dolphin or two or three of them will come along. I was doing some water sampling, some of the research stuff I do um, about a month ago when I was got out of the car and before I got out on the dock, I heard all this splashing going on. There's something going on down in the water. And uh, there was just one dolphin. He was down there and he was hurting the fish and he'd swim real fast and then he'd turn perpendicular across the little creek uh, so the fish couldn't get by and and then he'd move down the creek.
creek a little further and do the same thing. And uh, it's amazing. It's, it's amazing to watch. They, the dolphins here have some real interesting behaviors. Yeah, and then I know the other popular one that a lot of people are fans of are the loggerhead sea turtles. Yeah, yeah and they're we're past their ne- nesting season now. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much past their nesting season, and I think the the hatching season is pretty much done. Oh yeah. And Tybee um, has got a great loggerhead sea turtle program here um it's sort of sponsored and run by the tybee island marine science center and so that's the best place to go to get information on the the loggerhead sea turtles here uh but they get volunteers that uh during the nesting season that starts in may um these folks get out every morning they walk sections of the beach and they're looking for the tracks in the sand that the mama turtle made when she came up at night and crawled all the way out of the water and up into the soft sand and sometimes all the way up to the sand dunes and digs her hole and releases her eggs down in the hole and covers it back up and then she walks back down to the ocean she's done she's (laughs) she's not taking care of the eggs or anything she's done she's done her thing Uh, but these folks walk along and they look for those tracks and that's how they discover where the nests are wow and then uh, the nests are just kind of marked they're not fenced off or anything but they're marked so people can realize that's where the nest is and then it takes about 60 days on average before the babies hatch out, but they hatch out at night too. Mm-hmm. And so people don't usually see that either. Right, <laughs> and, right. Uh, That's so called we a boil, know they're, right? we know they're here. We know the turtles are using the yeah. using the beach, but we don't see them a whole lot. Huh. Yeah, and I know I've if you've been on Tybee Island, you'll notice that the the street lights, like in the parking areas and stuff, have kind of like a shield on them to keep the light towards the parking areas so that it doesn't confuse the turtles when they boil and hatch out. You know, to go straight to the ocean. Um, And also on Tybee Island and in Savannah, there's been a huge initiative recently for people to use paper straws because obviously the straws are detrimental to a lot of marine life. Um, So it's really neat that a lot of businesses and volunteers kind of come together to do their part and everything. And I know that the Tybee Clean Beach volunteers are huge in keeping our beaches clean so we want to give them a big shout out for all the work that they do. Absolutely. And uh, and a a lot of the visitors... That come to Tybee, they they want to know how they can help, mm-hmm. and that Tybee Clean Beach is a great way to do it mm-hmm. uh, because they'll if folks will get in touch with them. They'll say, "Yeah, we'll meet you at so and so. We'll give you the buckets, the pickers, mm-hmm. things, and and all like that." And uh, and so folks that are just on vacation and stuff will take part in that program. Uh, Tybee also has a an adopt. Uh, ramp or adopt a boardwalk or adopt a section of the beach program that, that's sponsored by the city um, where people sign up and volunteer and say all right i'm going to take care of that boardwalk over to the beach and once a month i'll clean up along there i've i've adopted one of those boardwalks one that i use a lot on my beach trips and i thought well i'm using this boardwalk every day i at least i ought to adopt it and take care of picking up the trash along there but yeah the the turtles tybee is very proactive at protecting not just the turtles but all of their natural resources around here it it continues to impress me at the things that the city um, officially does but that a lot of the citizens do and not just tybee citizens but folks from surrounding areas and savannah and all that want to take part in doing these sorts of things Mm -hmm. um some people go to a lot of expense, actually, to 
to help protect things and protecting the turtles and making it a better place uh, for them to do. We, we had a re-nourishment done on the beach this past winter where that we have to do every few years to put sand back up on the beach because it naturally erodes anyway. And over the last few years, we've had a hurricane or a storm every year, and that's really taken a lot of sand away. So we had a, a big re-nourishment. And one of the things that happens after we re-nourish and put all this sand up on the beach is they get a like a big plow that plows up all that sand that's come out of the water and piled up on the beach and bulldozed to the right slope and all like that. And it plows the sand to make it soft for the turtles that are going to be coming in during the spring and mm. the summer to make it easier for them to dig their holes. And I think, wow, we, they, they really go all out for these <laughs> turtles the bed around and everything. here. They do. And like you mentioned, the, the, the light shields on mm -hmm. the street lights, and uh, they ask folks that have waterfront property to, you know, turn their porch lights off at night and that sort of thing. Um, so they, they really go all out. Yeah. And then uh, Tabby's got a, an ordinance um, that you're not allowed to remove any live animals off of the beach. Um, and so, again, I wouldn't think of taking the animals that we find in our beach ecology trips and say, here, yeah, you take these hermit crabs home with you or anything like that. They're not going to live anyways. Um, and part of that was really to help sort of protect the sand dollars because at times we can find a lot of sand dollars around here. And people used to collect lots and lots of live sand dollars um, that, again, are not going to live. Um, when they're out of the water and so they have that so you know people can fish and catch fish and keep fish there's no problem with that and crabbing i think's okay and and that sort of thing uh but as far as coming out and finding starfish in the winter time or the sand dollars and stuff like that yeah you're not supposed to remove any of those so again during our trips we have them in our touch tanks for a while and get pictures and talk about them and that sort of thing. And then that's part of the trip is that, okay, it's time to put everything back home. Where can people find out more information about your tours? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a website. It's just called Tybee Beach Ecology Trips. And so there is that website that, uh, you know, tells a little bit about the trips and how to get in touch with me, phone number and email and all that sort of stuff. So, uh, that's probably the easiest thing, Tybee Beach Ecology Trips. Uh, but I do a Facebook page, and it's also just called Tybee Beach Ecology Trips on Facebook. And that's where I have more interaction. That's where I can put pictures up, and uh, people have learned that when they find something on the beach, they can post, a, post it on there and say, what is this? And not just on Tybee, but I encourage folks from to do it on all other beaches, not just on Atlantic, but other places. That's the most interactive sort of thing. So if, if folks are wanting to sort of see what we're finding and kind of keep up with that, the, the Facebook page is the best place. And then just not long ago, um, I did, I started an Instagram page too. Of course, I've enjoyed marine biology all my life and I still like talking about it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Savannah, Georgia, Anything But Ordinary. This podcast has been brought to you by Visit Savannah, the official destination marketing organization for Savannah, Georgia and the surrounding area, produced by Tyler Edick and hosted by Shannon Lowry. Make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite listening platform. Follow us on social media at Visit Savannah. 
and learn more at visitsavannah.com.